uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 24 to 27. I realize we've been in Romans chapter 1 for a bit, and I know you must be thinking, how long is this going to be? It's going to be long, right? I'm not, not chapter 1, Romans. Uh, but we want to go slow. We'll do other series in the middle. Don't worry about it. But we will keep coming back to, to this and build over it consistently. We've done this, by the way, with Acts. We've done this with uh, Corinthians over the years. And so this is another one that we want to sort of really pick up on as we go through it. Now, this morning, we continue this series and we're taking a closer look, as I mentioned last week. Are you able to hear me at the back? Yes? I think we, yeah, it needs to be louder. It needs to be a little bit louder. Yeah. Uh, so we want to uh, look specifically at the matter of uh, homosexuality, as I mentioned last week, that we would spend more time on it, which Paul describes here as an exchange that has taken place from what is natural to what is contrary to nature. Now we saw last week that when, a per when God hands a person over to their sin, there are three effects of it. One is that they slide further into impurity. The second is that they lose a sense of what is natural, good and right. And the third is that they lose a sense of rationality or reasonability. Uh, these were the things we talked about last week. Uh, and I mentioned that you know homosexuality wasn't the main point of the passage. It was one of the sins that manifests, that demonstrates God's handing over of people to the indulgence of their flesh. Nevertheless, we want to focus on it more specifically this morning, right? Now, it is a highly emotive subject, anything to do with human sexuality, because it's such an important part of us, right? And so we view it as intensely personal. Homosexuality today is understood as a personal choice and nobody's business. And in one sense, that's true because you don't want the government to be overly involved in your personal lives. You want there to be that distance. But there are concerns about that as well. In India, homosexuality was decriminalized September 2018, uh, meaning that a person cannot be punished for same-sex relationships. It was an old British era law uh, that continued on and you know and so that was decriminalized but some people worry about that because they believe that the next step is to legalize same-sex relationships or even to equate it with marriage give it the same legal status as marriage and then you have the question of children can children be adopted and raised by a homosexual couple obviously they can't have them biologically but can they have them by adoption and raise them? Is it good for children to be raised in a home with that kind of a relationship? Now, if you've got young children, you probably, uh, maybe they watch Peppa Pig. Any, kids, any of you kids watch Peppa Pig? I don't know. My kids didn't watch it. It was probably a little bit later. Uh, but just a couple of days ago, Peppa Pig, for the first time in its history, introduced a same-sex couple into its characters. It's the first time in its 18-year history that they said, you know what, this is the time, let's do it. And so there's a couple that, that um, you know, I think they're bears, right, or something. There's a couple of, anyway, whatever. They are of the same sex and they have children. And so that's, that's an interesting one. You've got to think about it for your children and the effect that it might have on children as well. Now, at a personal level, 
Many of you may know people who identify as homosexual. And it is an intensely difficult matter for them to deal with. It isn't easy for their families or their friends either. And it may be very difficult for you as a Christian also to reconcile what the scriptures are saying with the lifestyle choice of people that you know and love very dearly also. And so this matter has a lot of complexities that are attached to it. Mostly because of the direction that society is heading in today. And the discussions probably will go on for ages, but it is important for us as believers to come back to the Bible, which we hold up as the standard bearer for truth, and see what God has to say about the matters of sexuality in general, and specifically same-sex relationships. And so let's go to the scriptures now, and I'll show you a few things. I have a slideshow, by the way. Can we put that up? We should be able to uh, look at the verses uh, that are on there as well. It's not there? All right, maybe it's not there. Uh, but I'll call out the references. You can write them down, maybe read them a little bit later when you have a chance. All right, first is Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22. It says very clearly, You shall not lie with a man as with a woman. It is an abomination. All right, so very clear uh, reference to that. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 13 echoes the same thing. Right? Not to mention what happened in Sodom and Gomorrah. If you know that story, you will know that it was apparent and very clear, in, in fact, that there was uh, a lot of homosexual activity that was going on, especially with Lot's guests who came to his house. A similar thing happens in Israel, in Gibeah of Benjamin. You can read about this in Judges chapter 19, Genesis chapter 19, Sodom and Gomorrah, Judges chapter 19, Gibeah. Very similar kind of incident. Now the New Testament doesn't change its tone on the matter at all really. Listen to these two scriptures from uh, the New Testament, apart from Romans 1, which we'll look at more in depth. But 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. This is what it says. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Very clear scripture, 1 Timothy chapter 1 verses 9 to 11. Come, to, come with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, again verses 9 to 11. So you can remember these easily, alright? 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 11. Here's what Paul writes, and in fact this one gives us wonderful hope even. Here's what he says. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And listen to this. He says, and such were some of you. Meaning that some of you were practicing these things. Such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, 
you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I love that last bit. Such were some of you. Meaning that there is, there is salvation, there is hope for you to be restored out of those things. Wonderful to read. Now, clearly in Romans chapter 1, so back in Romans, if you can stay with that, Romans 1, 24 to 27, we read of the description of the practice of same-sex relationships. And it is not spoken of with approval, and I'm going to explain to you why. But rather, it is spoken of as an exchange that has taken place of something that is natural for something that is contrary to nature. That's the words that are used over here. And so as we try and understand and apply these verses, I want, to, I want to do it this way this morning. I want to look at four objections that are raised against the biblical view of uh, homosexuality as a sin. Four objections that are raised against the biblical view of homosexuality as a sin. So the Bible says that homosexuality is a sin. We've looked at some references. There are objections to that uh, or alternative interpretations to that to try and justify or to try and make the Bible say what it isn't really saying. Alright? You're tracking with me? I hope you're with me. I haven't lost you, right? This is going to be good. I mean, good for us to understand and, and, and uh, think through. Alright. So here's the first objection that is raised against the biblical teaching uh, of homose- against homosexuality or, or saying that homosexuality is a sin. Here's the first one. Homosexuality or same-sex relationships were culturally unacceptable in Paul's time. Meaning it wasn't normally practiced in Paul's time. It wasn't widely accepted in that sense. And so the reason why Paul speaks negatively about homosexuality in Romans 1, 1 Corinthians 6, 1 Timothy 1, is that homosexuality was not culturally acceptable in his time. And so he was being sensitive. Now, here's where that reasoning comes from. It's commonly raised because what people say today is that we are progressive. Ever heard that word? We're a progressive community now. We've moved forward from Paul's time and the biblical time. In that time, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't acceptable at the community at large. Now it is. And so the Bible better catch up with the times. That's basically what the argument is. The interesting thing is that same-sex relationships were widely practiced in ancient times. Widely. Any historian that is worth his salt will, will say that, will show you that, that it was widely acceptable and practiced, not just in Paul's time, but even in the Old Testament times. Go back to Sodom and Gomorrah, for instance. Widely practiced and accepted in that sense. No one will deny that. And so it wasn't for cultural reasons that the scriptures forbid homosexuality. Rather, it was counter-cultural that Paul was saying, do not practice these things. It was counter-cultural, very important for us. Because it's doing the same thing today. The Bible continues to be counter-cultural in the areas of sexuality. It isn't changed, it isn't different. What we are saying today is countercultural to what's happening in the world. What, we are, what Paul said in his time was countercultural to what was happening in his time because it was accepted and widely practiced throughout history. And so the implication is that the Bible is actually relevant 
to the times. It's not old. It's not archaic. That's what people say, right? The Bible is, the Bible you're reading is old. We've got to get with the times. The Bible isn't old. It isn't archaic. It has always been relevant. It has always been counter-cultural. Now, here's the reason why it feels like we are, you know, now the culture is opening up. Here's the reason why it feels like that. You see, what happened uh, from the 3rd century AD to about the 19th or the 20th century AD is that Christianity became a dominant force in the world. But not just in terms of religious practice, but politically. When the emperor became a Christian, he said Christianity is the, is the religion of the empire. And so everybody was Christian, whether they were actually Christian or not. And so then they passed laws for this empire that forbade certain practices. And one of those laws was to do with homosexuality, which is why you have the British era laws against the sodomy acts that come out of that kind of a thinking. And so what happened is, for those centuries, the church sought to control sinful behavior and choice by an external law, by forbidding it and imprisoning people. And that's why it felt like it was suppressed all of these years. Now suddenly, with the enlightenment and all of those things, we've thrown off the laws and we are feeling more free now. And so we think that we've become more progressive, but it was actually just a, a change in the way things were happening, right? And here's where the church made a mistake. The church did not deal with these things from the heart or in the heart. It tried to enforce faith and religion and obedience to God externally. And you were punished, you were thrown in jail for lots of things. But what the church needs to do and what we have an opportunity to do now is as these things become evident and more widely acceptable, it gives us an opportunity to engage with them, but in meaningful ways to do with the heart of the person. See, the problem is the heart. You can force laws on people. People will still do what they want. They'll still practice it. And still do whatever they want. But what we need to see is a change of the heart. And so that gives us an idea of, you know, what was going on in Paul's time and what, was, what is going on in our time. This is not Paul being culturally sensitive. No, no. He was counter-cultural and you and I are called to be counter-cultural as well. Let's go to the second um, uh, objection, if you like, against the biblical teaching. And uh, this comes, you know, from Romans 1, 24 to 27. And uh, some people interpret these verses, listen carefully, to say that lust is condemned, not loving same-sex relationships. So the problem is the lust. That's the problem over here. So here's what, here's what they, they argue. Look at these verses, 24, 26, 27. They dis where it describes homosexual desire as lusts of the heart, dishonoring of their bodies, dishonorable passions, consumed with passions for one another, shameless acts. And so you can read that and say, oh, that's terrible. You know? And so some people think that Paul was describing and condemning unloving 
or abusive same-sex relationships. You get that? That was the problem. He was, he was condemning unloving or abusive same-sex relationships, meaning same-sex relationships that are loving are okay. And so that's kind of a twisted way to interpret these verses. Now the problem with that interpretation is that Paul also describes it in this way in verses 26 and 27. He says, for their women, and this is probably the only text that speaks of, of a women being engaged in homosexual behavior. He says, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And men likewise gave up natural relations with women. You see, the issue is not lust or dishonorable passions versus love and honorable passions. That's not the issue. The issue is between what is natural and what is contrary to nature. That's the issue. And so acting on the desire for a person of the same sex is contrary to nature and is therefore dishonorable. That's the point that he's making over here. It's, the, it's, it's between what is natural and what is contrary to nature. In no way is he trying to say that there are certain kinds of same-sex relationships that are not good and there are some that are good. No, that's a misreading of the passage. And that's, by the way, that's consistent with 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and 1 Timothy chapter 1, where they're clearly spoken of as being unlawful by God's law. All right, let's go to the third objection. Right? It gets a little bit more uh, deeper in, in this one. Some people say, it's not a choice. I, I was born this way. Heard that? It's not a choice. I was born this way. Now that objection may come out of these same verses. It's interesting. All these verses, right? Because in verse 26 and 27, someone might say, hey, you said natural, right? It's natural for me to have same-sex attraction. And therefore, it is contrary to my nature to have heterosexual relationships. Therefore, I need to go with what is natural to me. How would you respond to that? Well, first of all, you've got to notice a couple of things over here. You know, Paul speaks of strong desire in these verses. Look at verse 24. He says, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. Verse 26, he says, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Verse 27, men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. All of these speak of strong desire, strong desire. And so we have to acknowledge that homosexual desire is a real thing. Stay with me on this. Don't just throw up and say, oh, what's the pastor saying? Gosh, no, no, listen to this, right? We have to acknowledge that it's a real thing. It's not just that someone wakes up one morning with same-sex attraction. No, no, it may be a real struggle that some people have. So this is very important for us to get because a lot of people who criticize it will say it's a choice. You can just change your choice. People choose. People don't cho uh, or, or, or people choose to be this way and they just need to change their choice. And I would say, and I think the Bible says this, is that it's a lot deeper than that actually. It's a lot deeper than that. Here's the reason why. Because sin is a lot deeper than that. 
sin is a lot deeper than that. Listen to this carefully, all right? This is important. Sin is not just the things we choose to do, but it is in our very nature to do the things that are contrary to the will of God. It's not just the things that I choose to do that make me bad. It's because I am bad that I choose to do those things. You see, my nature is corrupted. The Bible says this. We're all by nature children of wrath. Because sin is not just in our outward actions. It is in us. That's why you struggle so much with it. Don't tell me you don't struggle with it. I struggle with it. All these desires that are waging war against me. Day after day to take me captive. It's a battle, man. You know it. Right? Because sin is in us. It's in our nature in that sense. Just as it is with homosexual behavior and desire. So let me say that again. We don't become bad because we do bad things. We do bad things because we are bad. Because our nature is already sinful. It's fallen. So there are people who have a strong desire for people of the same sex. And it may be a real desire that they have. That they've struggled with for a long time. Just like all of us have struggles in our lives. All of us do. Some of us with anger. We're easily, easily angered. We can't get rid of it. Our wife keeps saying to us, you should... This is not a personal testimony, or maybe it is. But you need to get over your anger. You can't be so angry. And I'm struggling away year after year trying to get over this thing, but it just doesn't go. I just fly off the handle. Some of us struggle with, you know, we, I don't know, greed, food. We just can't get rid of it. We just have to keep going back to it. It's an ongoing battle. But here's, here's the important thing. Simply having a strong desire for something does not make it right. That's the crucial thing. Having a desire for something doesn't give you the right to act on it. For one reason, the Bible says that it is sinful for us to be dominated by the desires of the flesh. You may have an inordinate or out of control desire, but you don't have to act on it. That's why in Romans chapter 8, verses 12 and 13, listen to these carefully. He says, So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Don't live according to the flesh. Don't be dominated by your desires. Just because you have a desire doesn't make it right. Simple things. Just because you have a desire to sleep in in the morning, you can't go to your boss and say, you know, boss, just, it was a desire this morning. And I like to fulfill my desires. And what's he going to say to you? Yeah, it's my desire to fire you also. You know, you can't just live according to your desires. You've got to control them. Secondly, not all desires are good. Not all desires are good. You may have a strong desire to take revenge on someone. It doesn't make it right. You don't act on it. Some people may have a strong desire to take young boys for sex. Pedophilia is a big thing. And in fact, in America, there is an organization called NAMBLA, I think it is. Google it. That is trying to get legal uh, uh, right to allow man-boy relationships. 
That's what Nambla stands for, man, boy, love, relationships or something like that, right? They're looking for that. They want the government to say it's okay. So just because I have that desire doesn't mean that it's okay, right? You see the problem with it. The logical end of such thinking is a messed up situation. If you go down that track, you may have strong desire for someone outside your marriage. I love them. Doesn't mean you act on it. You violate your marriage covenant if you act on it. Having strong desire is not a justification for behavior. It's not a justification. And that's often used in regard to homosexuality. Because I have homosexual desire, I should be free to act on it. No, you don't want to be ruled by your desires. And clearly the Bible speaks of homosexuality among the things that are listed which are sinful desires. It's not even a good desire, it's a sinful desire. Now, I love that Paul in Romans chapter 8, because I referenced that. In Romans chapter 8, I love that at the end of that chapter, towards the middle end of that chapter, he says, he speaks about the brokenness and the groaning of all creation at this present time. And I think it's so appropriate because we all reel from the dominance of the flesh in our lives as we wait for the redemption of our bodies. How many times have you sat in your room and grieved over your inability to deal with your fleshly desire? How many times have you said, I can't get rid of this? That's the grieving. That's the grieving. And Paul talks about that in Romans 8 and he gives us hope. He says, one day Christ will come and he will redeem our bodies. No longer will we have to battle with the desires of the flesh in this way. Wonderful. Now a fourth issue that's raised as an objection to the biblical teaching on homosexuality is that Jesus didn't condemn it. Jesus didn't say anything about homosexuality. And technically that's true because there's not one word in the Gospels where Jesus actually says anything about homosexuality. Not one word. And so they say, you know what, because Jesus didn't, that means he must have approved it. It must be acceptable. Jesus, I mean, you know, he's the man. But that's an incorrect understanding of what the Lord Jesus taught. You see, Christ clearly affirms the Genesis account, which was read for us by Jaya, the Genesis account and pattern of God's creation and God's design for marriage. In fact, he reaffirms this in Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 to 5, and he says this, he says, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So Matthew 19, 4-5, fundamental text on human relationships. Very clearly, the Lord Jesus affirms heterosexual relationships as God's design for marriage. Marriage is between a man and a woman. Now, this statement, by the way, that Jesus makes over here is a statement that in a sweeping way deals with all kinds of sexual immorality. I mean, you think of pornography. That's an immorality. 
It's unfaithfulness to your spouse in marriage when you practice or you view pornography. Unfaithfulness. And if you're not married, it's still unfaithfulness to your spouse who may come down the line in marriage. It's unfaithfulness to God. But then let's go on over here. Bisexuality. Out of the door because of what Jesus says in the statement, right? Male and female. One man and one woman. Adultery. Out the door. Polygamy. Out the door because he says one man and one woman. Gender fluidity. That's the new term. You can go, but there's a spectrum. You can go between whatever you want. You can get up and feel like whatever you want or any particular. No, no. There is God created them what? Male and female. Out the door. And then homosexuality, of course, as well. You see, God made them male and female, period. Genesis 1, Jesus reaffirms that, reiterates that in the Gospels. You see, Jesus didn't have to specifically condemn each one. Polygamy and this and that. He didn't have to specifically condemn each one. He just needed to show us and affirm for us God's design. And by very virtue of that fact, anything contrary to that is not a part of God's design. And that's how we ought to approach the whole matter, really, of human sexuality. Come back to the Bible. Come back to the creation account. Come back to the words of the Lord Jesus Christ in the Gospels. It becomes the basis for our understanding of sexuality. And I tell you, if you can get this right, if this becomes fundamental in your understanding of who you are as a person, your sexuality, and who you are in your marriage, in relationship to your spouse, it will sort out a ton of things in your life if you can get this right. If you can understand it as God has revealed it in His Word. I want to give you a few suggestions in closing as to how we Christians can deal with the matter of human sexuality, gender issues that are so prevalent today. And hopefully, you know, they're a little practical. Hopefully, they'll be helpful for you. First of all, while this passage, Romans 1, talks about homosexuality, you read on from verse 28, it continues to talk about other sins as well. Other sins as well. Same with 1 Corinthians 6 and 1 Timothy chapter 1. There are other practices that you and I may be involved in. Not homosexuality, but something else from that list. Greed, lust, something else from that list. That are equally condemned as sinful in the Bible. So be humble and not quick to see one sin as more grievous than the other. Just write people off like that. Be humble. When you look at the sin in another person's life, have a humble attitude to your own struggles as well. Very, very important because Christians can tend to be so judgmental and cold. We only see the the problem in the other person's life. We fail all the time to see the problem in our own lives. Secondly, be loving. You know, far too long, and I've said this already, I'm just repeating myself. We've been cold, judgmental, unloving people. That's what we've been seen as. And maybe it comes out of the church history stuff that I told you about, right? All these laws and things like that. Well, we need to have a different approach to it. We need to get to the heart of the matter. And so be gracious and kind to all people. Third, 
have the courage of your convictions. Being loving doesn't mean you throw all your convictions out of the door and say, sab kuch chalta hai. That doesn't make sense at all. The world doesn't need a sab kuch chalta hai attitude. It needs convictions. It needs men and women who stand on the truth and they are firm about it. I'm telling you, people need that more than they even understand that they need that. The clarity, they need it. You know, four of our children uh, in our church were in their psychology class at school recently. And the teacher asked the whole class, psychology, asked the whole class if they agreed with the idea of LGBTQI and plus plus. Right? Do you agree with it? All the children raised their hands except these four children in our church and two of their Christian friends. And I felt, when I heard that, I was like, way to go, man. That's convictions in a class of high school kids to say, you know what, this is what the Bible says and we believe it. That's conviction. That's great stuff. That's what we want to do. Fourth, we want to understand that this might be a real struggle for some people. Because like I said to you, it comes from deep inside. Just like all other sin is in our nature. We're inclined. We have, we have a proclivity, an inclination to certain sins. And all of us do. Asking or expecting someone to just snap out of it is deeply misunderstanding of what they're going through. You can't just do that. You can't do this with any sin. Snap out of it. You can't do it. You know it. In your own life, you can't snap out of the sins of your life. Right? And so it's deeply hurtful and, and in that sense to say to a person, just snap out of it. Got to be patient with them. You know, 20 years ago, I think it was in 99, I counseled a young man uh, in our youth group who I was meeting regularly for discipleship and then one day he was talking to me and he says, he told me that he was struggling with homosexual desire. Now I have to admit that I was taken aback. I was like, whoa. This was the first time I was talking to someone like this who I thought I knew and then he comes up with this. But then I met him over the next few weeks and we read scripture together. We prayed. We had conversations about this. A few years later, he moved off to the US to study. And he got married to a beautiful young woman and they have beautiful, two beautiful children now. And I praise God for that because change is possible. But you can't just snap people out of it. If I, was, if I came down like a ton of bricks on him and said, you better stop this or you leave the youth group, we might have lost him, man, you know? But it, it makes sense to be patient and work through these things with people. There are wonderful stories and examples of people who have come out of homosexual lifestyles, trusted in Christ, and begun a life that is in accordance with God's word and will. There's a website called Focus on the Family. Actually, I'll, I'll probably send you the link. And they have an article which they said, which they, in which they share a link to another YouTube channel that has testimonies of people who have been saved by Christ out of this lifestyle. Good to listen to. It's encouraging to listen to. Because the world is telling us that it cannot, this is who they are. And we need to say, no, no, no. God can save people out of a lifestyle behavior and desire. 
So don't give up on people. Remember what Paul says to the Corinthians, right? And such were some of you. Such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And number six, if you're a person who struggles with desire in this way, homosexual desire, same-sex desire, please get help from a mature Christian who will read God's word with you and pray with you. Sins of a sexual nature are deep and dangerous. Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 6 when he talks about being united to a prostitute and he talks about how that even that union is a very deep union even if it isn't with your spouse because sexual sins are deep and dangerous and you will need help to get out of it. And if any of you struggle with it, come and talk to us. Come and talk to the leadership of this church. We'll help you. We'll pray with you. We'll work through this, however long it takes. But get help. Or if you know of people that need help, come and talk to us. We'll see what God can do. The Bible and the Lord Jesus clearly affirm that God created people, male and female. And marriage is between one man and one woman for life. And in the most profound sense, we didn't spend time on this this morning, these things reflect for us the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what Paul writes in Ephesians 5, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, submit to your husbands as the church submits unto Christ. And so in, in the relationship that Christ has with his church, or the relationship that Christ has with his church, is to be reflected in the human relationships of marriage. And when we violate marriage as it is in the scriptures, we violate the gospel story. We tell a different story about the gospel or we try and change the story of the gospel. Ultimately, that's what we do. And we don't want to do that. We want to be faithful in telling the story of the gospel. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning. We come because these are difficult matters to address. And in some ways it might even be easy to preach a sermon from here on it. But if we had to sit with a person and talk about this face to face, oh how hard it is Lord. We pray oh God that you would raise up a generation of people here in this congregation that are bold with their convictions and deeply loving and caring for the world around them. So help us Lord to go away not patting ourselves on the back because of how right we are or feel we are with you but to really have a concern a godly concern for a hurting world around us a confused world a world that is losing sense of even the most basic definitions of things help us O God to speak truth into that world thank you Lord In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.